0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. We're in Matthew 25 today, and we are jumping in on a longer conversation. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've spent several weeks thinking about the return of Jesus Christ. So, this is really like part three of being prepared for the return of Jesus. Just to back up, we've seen a few things so far, right? Number one, Jesus is going to come again and be revealed as the Messiah. Revealed. So when he comes next time, it's not going to be by faith. You know, some of us think, yes, Jesus is the Christ. We believe it. Others, no, he's not. When he comes the next time, there won't be any doubts or conversations or debates. Explicitly revealed. There he is, king of kings, Lord of lords. He will come again. When he comes, it will be surprising and decisive, so we saw that it'll be normal life, people doing what they usually do, and then all of a sudden, bang, he's here, like a thief in the night, right? This is what Jesus and thieves have in common. Neither one is calling ahead, saying, oh, I'm going to be here at this time. No, you don't know. It's going to be a surprise. It's going to just happen. And so you need to be ready. It's going to be decisive. Jesus said there'd be two working in a field. One's taken. The other one's left. It's, when he comes, it's here. It's over. It's done, and now we answer for how we've lived, and we answer for how we've responded to him. So Jesus is saying over and over and over again in various ways, he's saying that even though my delay is going to be long, and he was right, it has been long, (laughs) even though my delay is going to be long, I want every Christian in every generation living in anticipation and being ready be ready cuz you never know when he could come it'll be surprising it'll deci- it'll be decisive and when he comes he'll change the age he'll change the age the wedding feast will begin he will judge and crush evil and sweet goodness will own the day are you ready for that this week i'm ready i'm ready He's going to come and change the age. So he's coming. And the big question constantly, as I said, has been, are you, prepa- are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you going to be ready? And so we've, we've, we've thought about how this is a loving warning. Do you, do you warn the people you love? You know, I, I think especially of my children. There are some warnings, right? Don't run across the street. I right, tell little Judah, because he's like this tall and he likes to run. You stay right next to me in the Costco parking lot. Because you're going to get smushed. And if he, if he starts to run, my voice is going to get sharp and it's going to get loud. Because I want him next to me so he doesn't get mushed, right? I love him. Okay, Is Jesus allowed to do that to us, for us? Be ready. He's not joking. It's love. Because, man, when it happens, we are going to want to be ready. We're going to want to have been prepared. Okay. Last week, we saw the the essential aspect of faith, right? A faith that trusts Jesus. This week, we're seeing a parable describing the faithfulness that flows from faith, okay? The The faithfulness that faith brings. So two jobs this morning. Number one, gonna try to understand the parable. Just walk through it, see its little scenes, see its episodes. And then number two, Plug in the details, find the truth, see what it means, see what Jesus is talking about. All right. Understand it, apply it. So are you ready? Here we go. Job one, understand the parable. Let's walk through this together. We're going to see, I think this will help. There's four basic scenes or pictures to understand. Two of them, groups of people described, and two of them are events that happen in the story. So here we go. Who's the first person we meet? Look at verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So our first character here is a master who is very rich, very generous, and very wise. A rich, generous, and wise master who's going on a trip. You say, well, how do you know he's rich? Well, I know because of what he's entrusting to his servants. Uh, His generosity shows how rich he is. You see this word, talent. Now, when you and I use the word talent, what do we think of? Uh, I'm good at singing or budgeting or cleaning. That fits in here later. But right now, that's not what we're talking about. Right here, what we're talking about with talent, money. Talking about money. That's the parable, okay? Okay. A talent would be understood as money, and scholars are all all over the place and trying to figure out how we could apply the value of this today, and in a way no one really knows. But here's an idea that will help. One commentator said that a talent would be worth about 20 years of work for an average day laborer, 20 years of work. So let's say you make 50 grand a year, 20 years, it's a million dollars, right? It's a million dollars. So to, you know, to the ugly duckling in the story, <laughs> he's giving a million bucks to that guy to use. To the first one, he's giving five million. To the second one, he's giving two million. So he's very rich, and he's very generous. This is an opportunity of a lifetime, Literally. The opportunity of a lifetime for these servants to be able to be entrusted with this kind of wealth and enjoy the results of investing it. It's an amazing opportunity. He's rich. He's generous. He's also wise. He gives according to ability. So number five, he's really good at this game. So he's like, I can trust this one. I'm going to give him five. Number two, not as good. We're still going to give him two. Less ability. Still generous, number one, we'll find out more about him later. You see a master who's rich, generous, wise, and how long has he gone? Long time, long time. That's the first person in the story. Next one are the servants who are stewards. You know where the steward is? Family, we just watched, me and the kids watched Lord of the Rings recently again. Do I bring that up too much around these parts? Steward of Gondor, right? Tolkien's story. He's sitting in uh, the castle, and he's sitting in the little little chair down here because the big one belongs to the king. He's the steward, so he's in charge until the king comes. And he's a terrible steward because when the king comes, he says, I'm not giving this up. I'm king. No, it's not yours, man. The point is the steward is responsible to take care of somebody else's wealth, somebody else's property. It's an incredible honor. You have incredible responsibility, but in the end, it's not yours. It belongs to someone else. And so we see these servants who are left as stewards. Stewards. And of course, we see that two stewards were faithful and one wasn't. So look at verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. The key is those five words went at once and traded. When did he start? At once. And what did he do? He invested. He started pouring it in. He started doing something. He's excited. He's obedient. He's taking the risk. He's going out there. He's, he's going for all it's worth. What's the second steward do? Same thing. He went out at once. Verse 17. So also he had the two talents. Went out Went at once, he traded, and they received a return for their investment. So there's those two over here, they're faithful stewards. Then there's the third. What does the third steward do? Verse 18. He who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and sat on it. So just see the contrast. What are the faithful ones doing? Action. Risky, positive action. What's the unfaithful one doing? You know, it's interesting. He didn't go blow it on parties. He's not. He, he's not starting. You know, he's not selling drugs or whatever. What's he doing with it? Nothing. He's just not doing anything. Nothing at all. So you see the masters. We've seen the servants. Now the two episodes to see, or the things that happen in the parable. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. After a long time, he came and settled accounts. Now what happens when somebody who is in charge is gone for a long time? Well, it's a hard situation if you're left there, isn't it? A long time. You start thinking, maybe he's never going to come back. What would you be tempted to do? If you were the steward and he's gone for a long time, I could use a little of this for me, right? Or I could just not do anything. I'm tired of this. When's he coming back? I'm tired. I'm sorry. Why do I have to keep going all the time? It's been so long. And then all of a sudden, you look into the horizon, and there he is. He's back, and you think. You either think, I'm glad I kept working on this, or you think, dang. He came back and he settled accounts. He came back and they had to answer for what he had entrusted to them. He came back. So we see the fourth part. He brings a reward for the work. The master brings a reward. So, verse 20. He who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Aren't these some of the most beautiful words in the Bible? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What you're going to see is that the master ridiculously rewards the faithful. Number one, recognition. What does the master say to his faithful servant? (laughs) You're good. You're good. Your, your heart is right, you're faithful, your good heart was shown in what you did, you're faithful, you kept at it, even during my delay, and then he says, well done, awesome, good job, recognition. Number two, a ridiculous reward, he said, to the, this is a guy with five talents, he said, well done, you've been faithful over a little, how much did he give this guy? $5 million or something like that. He says to him, you've been faithful over a little. Now I'm going to set you over much. Wow. He just, he just blew it up. I mean, you had a little to work with, $5 million little. Now you have a ton. So the master's like, you don't even know my generosity. Now you get to enjoy it. You don't even know how generous I really am. Now you get to enjoy it, a reward. And then what amazing words enter into the what the joy of your master it's time for you to be happy blissfully delighted in what i have to offer you that's what the master's saying so when i was gone you had to work you had to endure you had to suffer but now it's time to enjoy ridiculous reward that's what he says to the one with the five talents What does he say to the one with the two talents? He says the same exact thing. This is important to me. The second one had less ability, the text said. He gave to each according to their ability. The second one had less ability, and as far as in gross numbers, he had less return. He wasn't as awesome as what he did, and he didn't bring in quite the reward. And yet, what does the master give him? The same exact response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into your joy. This is important to see because we think of success in certain terms about our skills or about our results And the point here in this parable isn't the skills of these two. The thing they have in common that brings the same response is that at once they went and traded. They invested. They invested. They went after it. And they both received that ridiculously generous reward. Then there's the last one. The unfaithful servant, we'll see what he says, verses 24 to 25, he says, he also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground, here you have what is yours. It's the day of reckoning, it's the day of settling accounts, and this steward comes forth with an excuse. He comes forth with an excuse. You know, you'd imagine him saying, at least, I'm sorry, I didn't do this very well. Or you'd imagine him, I don't know, something else other than this. Instead, he says, Master, the reason I didn't invest is because you're a jerk. That's what he says. Look at it. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you don't sow. Now what kind of people reap where they don't sow? Thieves. Wicked people. He's accusing the master of being thieving and greedy and evil. How does the servant feel about the master? Does he love him? No, he can't stand him. He hates him. It's evident. And you almost want to be like, How much did the master give this guy? A million dollars. So this guy is totally blind to the master's generosity. Cannot see it. Totally blind to the opportunity he was afforded. Cannot sense it. Unimpressed. I didn't do anything with your money because frankly, you're a jerk. That's what he says. It's an excuse. And so the master reveals him. Look at verse 26. Oh, uh, let, me, okay, let me use your own standard against you. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed? Well, if that were true, verse 27, then you at least should have invested my money. Is that really what it was? You thought I was mean, so you were scared of me? You were afraid of making mistakes because I'm so mean? Well, wouldn't you have done at least a little bit, risk-free, if that were true? If that were really the case? If that's really what you thought about me? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter, the master says. What is he? Verse 26. His master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. The first two stewards were good and faithful. Their hearts trusted in and loved the master, and that was evidenced in their faithful lives as they waited for him to come back. The third steward, what's his heart like? He's wicked, does not like the master, does not trust the master. And how is his wickedness, his wicked heart, how is that evidenced in his life? Here's the kicker for us, because we're thinking wicked people commit murder or they steal or they do all the bad sins. This one was wicked and what? Lazy, slothful. His evil was not in all the bad that he did it was in all the good that he did not do. That's scary. His evil was in all the good he did not do, because he was lazy. The master to him was not worth taking a risk for. It was not worth investing for. And so he is, after he's revealed by the master, he's rejected. Look at 28 to 30. Hard words. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. 29. For to everyone who has more, or to everyone who has, more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the master says, Take away what I gave him, calls him worthless. Is that just an insult, or is that an accurate description? I left you my stuff to steward. You didn't. You have no worth as a servant or steward. He's revealed. He's rejected. Throw him into darkness. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds unpleasant. And in this parable, it is to be seen as deserved. He totally demeaned, disregarded, hated his master. Could not see the obvious generosity given by the master And now he's gonna pay for it. So we walk through the parable the master, the stewards, the return, the reward. What does it mean for us today, sitting here, to plug this in, to understand what it means for our lives? Well, like I said, this is a loving warning to us about being faithful as we wait for the return of Jesus. It's also an invitation to be faithful. No matter what skills you think you have or you don't have, it doesn't matter. Be faithful. And it's a promise to us, isn't it, for when we are. A heck of a promise. So let's fill in the blanks. We had the four parts. We'll walk through the four parts again. This should be obvious. Who's the generous master who left on a journey while entrusting his property to his servants? Jesus. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He rose. Now he reigns. One day he'll return and be revealed. Amazingly. He has entrusted his property to his people according to their abilities. Who are the servants who are to steward his property? Here we would have to be, we would have to say it's those who claim to be Christians. It's as the the theologians would say, it's the visible church. Go to any church anywhere in America, anywhere in the world. A lot of them are saying, Jesus, thank you. God willing, you know, most of them, hopefully, have hearts changed that love Christ. Jesus is continually warning, some don't. Sometimes it sounds like he thinks a lot don't. Do you know in America, I just looked at this 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 week, still over 75% of people claim to be Christians. And when you get into the nitty-gritty of what that believes that melt or of what that means that, that melts away. But just as a as a nominal claim, yeah, I'm a Christian. So it's true out there in culture, it's it's true in the churches. Jesus is my master. So the servants who steward his property are those who claim to be Christians. So even those who aren't true Christians still have his property entrusted to them. That's interesting. Okay, so what is his property then that he's entrusting? Because I don't know how many of you are like, where's my $2 million? Right? I, let me try, Jesus. <laughs> let me try. Well, remember, it's, uh, it's 20 years of what a day worker would make. You've been working for 20 years? Will you work for 20 years? Will you live for 20 years? 40 years, 60 years, he's given you a whole lifetime of opportunity. A whole lifetime of opportunity he's given you. Now obviously in a parable, it's a metaphor, it's a spiritual metaphor, right? So we talk about money, it doesn't necessarily mean cold hard cash, although that includes it. Some of his people are going to have way more than that. But it's a metaphor, isn't it, for everything he's given you that's not ultimately yours. Things that he's stewarded to you for you to use for his kingdom. Now, Jesus' kingdom is where Jesus is in charge. That's a simple way to put it, right? For Christians, we say, Jesus, you're in charge of me, right? So Jesus, be in charge of Okay, so let me ask you, what is it you have that's not ultimately yours that he has given you to steward for him? Or a better question, what is it that you have that he didn't give to you to steward for him? Everything you have, he's given to you to steward for him. Everything. Let this soak in. Your mind, your mind should belong to Jesus. Your mouth is a powerful, powerful piece of wealth for the kingdom of God. Your mouth, what you say, your time, years and years of life, however much you're given, your time is a gift. An opportunity to use, to invest in Jesus' kingdom. Your skills, your talents, as we use it. Yes. Yes, opportunities to invest. Your money, sure, sure, what you give to, how you spend it. It's from Jesus to you, to steward. Is that offensive to say your money isn't yours? It's his. Look, if you're a Christian, we say, Nothing I have is in mind. 1 Corinthians 6, your body's not yours. Your body is not yours. It's his. He bought you with a price. Your work, your career, it's a gift from him to steward for his kingdom. Your relationships, every single one you have. Your education. It's not just for you, it's for the kingdom. Your family. Your Friendships. Your romance. That is for him. Our marriages are for him. Our culture's in love with this marriage is the idea, you know, what's that silly movie? You complete me, right? Our culture has this idea that marriage is to complete you. Blow that light that on fire real quick. Whoa. Okay. Your marriage is to make you holy and to glorify Jesus Christ. It's not about your your comfort. Or your pleasure. Now, in many times when it's for the glory of Jesus Christ, I've certainly experienced, it brings more joy to the marriage. For sure. For sure. And yet, it, it, amazing how that works, isn't it? When we look for our own happiness in itself, we, we kill it. When we look for obedience and faithfulness to God, we find ourselves with joy. Our marriage, it's not for us, it's for him. Our children, my children don't belong to me. This can make me cry. They're like oil slipping through our hands, right? Going away. It was never for me. It's for the Lord. They're stewarded to us. How about the gospel itself? Did Jesus give you the gospel so you could sit on it like an egg? Bury it in a hole? Here's your gospel. I sat on it. Did you tell anybody? What an opportunity! What an opportunity! Wow, when it comes to participating in Jesus' kingdom, sure, we have different abilities, different skills, and yet we are each, just like this parable, filthy rich in opportunity to invest in the kingdom. Filthy rich. If you cannot think of a way to invest in Jesus' kingdom with your life, please talk to me after the service. I guarantee you we'll find 50, and then we'll run out of time the potential for you to live for his glory in every aspect of your life is almost unspeakable. So there it is. We are stewards who are to be good and faithful servants with everything he's entrusted to us because one day he'll come back. One day he'll come back and we'll answer for how we've lived to him. There's a other place in the Gospels where it says, we'll answer for every word we've spoken, dear God, in heaven. Answer for every word. We'll answer for all of it. We'll answer for it. Pray for me because I have to answer for more because I'm a pastor. Ugh. It's in the Bible. So this is an amazing opportunity, isn't it, and an awesome responsibility. We can live for the kingdom of God We can invest everything we have in it. And just like the parable says, there'll be a return where the accounts are settled. There'll be a reward and a revealing. So some Christians, right, when Jesus comes back, will be revealed as fake. They will say, "In all their life, they said, I'm a good person. But they will say in that day, I sat on everything you gave me. I never invested it for you. I want to think here for a little bit, why? What is it with this servant, the unfaithful one? Why didn't he invest? There's a fear thing in there, but it's even, is it even fear of the real master? Again, we looked at his heart. Does he love the master? Does he trust the master? Is he awake to the master's generosity? You know, these parables, These parables, the parable of the virgins we looked at last week about faith, the parable of the stewards about faithfulness, they go together for a reason. This unfaithful steward, he has no faith in his heart. He has no trust in the master. He has no love for the master. And that's evidenced, right, in how he lives. That's evidenced in his laziness. His, it, this is the person who says, yeah, I... I'm a Christian, but then when it comes down to the nitty gritty of life, that same heart says, Jesus, you're not worth living for. You're not worth following. You're not worth trusting. There's no faith in that heart. And so the reason this such strong words in this parable, weeping and gnashing of teeth, well, how would we understand that? That's Hell that's judgment and why is this unfaithful servant receiving this listen let's not plug in a gospel of works here right can we say well he believed in jesus he just didn't live a good enough life and so he went to hell is that what we're going to say that would be unbiblical and also who will be in hell next to him No, he was unfaithful because he had no faith. He did not trust in the master. Which means that the answer to being faithful is to have what? Faith. When you were faithful, why were you faithful? There's so many you you guys are such a group of faithful people. It's amazing. You're so faithful. Why? I know why. It's because every day you trust in Jesus. Your faith expresses itself in your faithfulness. And in the moments, right, we're all unfaithful in moments. Can I get an amen? Okay, we're all still unfaithful in moments. The reason you were unfaithful in that moment, how was your faith in the Lord at that moment? Okay, when you said that wicked, nasty thing, you were not like, Jesus, I'm doing this for you and your glory because you're enough for me. Okay, Jesus didn't exist in your mind at that point. He wasn't good enough in your mind at that point. You were a practical atheist at that moment in your life when you were unfaithful. Faith brings faithfulness. And both are a risk, right? Isn't it a risk? If you converted as an adult, do you remember the, 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 trippy, the tipping point, the trip line when you're like, Should I, can, I, can I really trust Jesus with my life? It's a risk to all of a sudden fall on your knees and say, all right, you own me. Isn't it? And then every day, doesn't it feel like a risk to forgive someone who's hurt you? Doesn't it feel like a risk to write that check of donation to something in God's kingdom when everything's tight? Doesn't it feel like a risk to Take a deep breath and talk to your unsaved friend about Jesus Christ. Those all feel like a risk. And they're all pieces of faithfulness. How are you going to find what you need to be faithful in that moment? It's going to be faith in him. It's going to be trust in him. You're enough for me. You'll provide for me. You're here. You're working. I trust you. Faith flows into faithfulness. So where can you look? Because I want to have faith I want to be faithful. The danger is if we just look at ourselves and be like, couldn't you read this text and be like, I'm scared to death, I haven't done enough. Oh my gosh. Go do stuff. It's It's going to last five minutes. How does faithfulness really happen? It's for faith in Christ to grow. It's for faith to be more awake, more active, more matured. And what does that? What is it that increases your faith? You know, if we just look up at what's happening in the gospel of Matthew, as Jesus says this, what is he going to do in just a couple days? He's going to go to a cross. Who's the faithful one in this story? Jesus came, humbled himself, put on flesh for you. Jesus was tempted, tried, Lives a hard life perfectly, faithfully for you. Jesus set his face straight towards Jerusalem knowing exactly what was coming. He went to the cross. It wasn't the nails that held him there, the cliche says. It's true. It was his will to save you that held him there for you. He rose from the dead for your victory. He reigns now interceding for you. One day he's going to come again for you. He's faithful. He's the infinitely faithful one. And the more you look at him and his faithfulness, what does that build in your heart? When you see his love for you, his grace for you, his provision for you, it grows your faith. And that makes you want to, I want to go at once and invest. I want to do stuff for you, Jesus. I want to encourage somebody for you Jesus. I want to be faithful. I want I want the world to see a little of you in me as I do this. Jesus, I want to be generous. Jesus, I want to I want to help somebody. I want to I want to be loving. I want to tell somebody about who you are. Look to Christ in his beauty, his glory. Look to the cross to build that faith that enables faithfulness. The fact that he died for you means that he loves you. The fact that he rose for you means that he's strong. Isn't that what you need in someone you trust? The willingness and the ability. If you're up in a high tree and I'm like, jump, I got gotcha. you. Hopefully you know me well enough to where I won't be like, ha, just kidding. No, I would try, but you'd probably be like, I don't think you've got what it takes to catch me quite right It's not like that with Jesus. He will catch you. He can catch you. He wants to catch you. He's faithful. He's faithful. Isn't this what verse 29 means? Jesus said, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Everyone who has what? faith. You have him by faith. If you have, it'll grow into faithfulness and that'll be rewarded and you'll get more and more and more. Your story as a Christian is getting more and more and more. What do you have at the end? An inheritance. But if you don't have it from the one who has not, has not what? Faith. Faith. A real trust in Christ. You could go to church and say the right things and look like a nice person. If you don't have faith in Christ, even what it looked like you had, that will be taken away. And all will be lost. By faith in Christ, we're faithful. Now, it won't be perfect, right? Are we talking about a perfect faithfulness here? No. But it'll be genuine. It'll be enough to prove as evidence... Evidence. This is how it works with the gospel, right? God's forgiven all your sins, and he remembers and purifies all your good deeds so that when he looks at your life and you stand before him, he will see his evidence, everything you did by faith. And now we get to the reward. I said in the beginning, you want to be truly successful, appreciated, and happy. And in this life, if you strive for that and you work for that, you become the CEO, and you're rich, and everybody knows who you are. It won't work. What is real success? I've had to struggle with this in my life. What does it mean to be successful? I'm not over it. I'm very insecure sometimes. As you look at these two faithful servants, one had five, one had two, One was more talented, one was less. One had more resources, one had less. They received the same reward because both of them were what? Faithful. Faithful. True success is what? Faithfulness to Jesus. True success is faithfulness to Jesus. Now you have to ask, does does faithfulness always look like success? is it successful to always be moving from one career hop to the next and looking like your portfolio's fatter or is it sometimes staying in the same place over a long term being faithful or the one you forgave hurts you again and you forgive without revenge the world says loser jesus says Faithful. You keep giving generously and sacrificially. You don't have as much. Your standard of living is not as high. The world says you're missing it. Loser. Jesus says faithful. The world pressures you with all sorts of sexuality. You want to honor God with integrity in your body. The world says loser. Jesus says Faithful. You share the gospel. They won't believe. They don't want to be your friend anymore. The world says loser. Jesus says faithful. True success is what? Faithfulness. It's faithfulness. That will change the way we live if we believe that. Faithfulness. And your faithfulness will be recognized. Can you believe this? J.R. Tolkien, I brought him up once. I'm going to do it again. He wrote, The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. You need to imagine this. Imagine Jesus coming back and finding your glance and looking you in the eye And imagine him saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. I won't need anything after that. Isn't that good enough? Isn't that it? Isn't that all you wanted forever? Isn't that so powerful? That's it. That okay. I've I've reached the moment of bliss. Jesus Christ said, well done. Listen, you want recognition. You want appreciation. You're meant to. We look for it in the wrong places. Live for that moment of appreciation and recognition from Jesus Christ himself. You'll be faithful. You'll be faithful. Jesus, I want to please you. I want you to be pleased with how I'm living right now. I'm going to do this for you, Jesus, one more time. I can do it again. I can do it again one more time. Recognition. Well done. Will you care very much about all the opinions of everyone else in that moment? The world said I was a loser. (laughs) The world is a loser. Jesus Christ said, well done. You'll be successful. Faithfulness is successful. You'll be recognized. And you'll be happy. He'll say to you, I set you over a little. There's you and there's me and there's all sorts of Christians all over the world. Some of us have this, some of us have that. We've all got something. And it's all little compared to what we're going to get in the next life. He'll say, I got more for you. Isn't it cool to think in heaven you won't just be floating around like a cherub? You'll have stuff to do and be in charge of and. Enable and build and create. I'll set you over much. And the best part of it is enter into the joy of your master. This is heavy theology right here, but there is no one happier than the triune God. There is no one happier than the triune God. We're happy sometimes. We have to look for all these things to make us happy. We're needy. God is sufficient and satisfied in himself, full of love and fellowship eternal glory forever and ever. He's infinitely happy all the time in himself. And the triune God, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, says, come on in and enjoy my happiness. That's why he created, that's why he saves. Come on in and enjoy the glory of who I am. Enter in to the joy of your master. Successful appreciated, happy, because you had a faithfulness that flowed from your faith in the one who's infinitely faithful, Jesus Christ. So let's be faithful, because we've put our faith in him, his faithfulness to us, and we'll receive that ridiculous, generous reward. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper here in a moment, and as we do this, what are we thinking about? The that bread is given to you, think of his faithfulness giving you his body. Think of his faithfulness shedding his blood for you. Think of all that he is for you from eternity past to eternity future. And let your faith be built up in the glory of who Jesus is and his faithfulness. And may that echo out in faithfulness in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the faithful one. You went to the cross for us. We put our faith in you. Lord, as we see this parable, we want to be the faithful stewards. We want to use our resources, so many that you've given us, for your glory. So, Lord, help us. I pray that each person here will be able to pick one or two. Maybe it's our mouths and how we talk. Maybe it's our marriage at home that needs your reign. Maybe it's our money and our priorities there. Maybe it's we're not serving with the gifts you've given us. Lord, what can we do to offer to you and your kingdom our efforts? We want to, God, because you have given everything to us and we are secure in your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.